0: Welcome to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. I'm Eric Flickinger, your host, and this week we're going to dive into week number two. We're going to be looking at the fall. And this week, once again, we have another guest with us. This is Dr. Greg King. Dr. King is the dean of the School of Religion at Southern Adventist University. He has served as a professor for over 30 years. He's served as a pastor as well. We're delighted to have you with us, Greg. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you for the invitation, Eric. It's a pleasure to
0: be here. Now, we're taking a look at the book of Genesis. Why is the book of Genesis... You've studied the Bible. You've taught the Bible. You've dug into it for many, many years. What does the book of Genesis mean to you? Why is the book of Genesis important?
1: Well, Old Testament is my special area, and so I teach Old Testament classes each year, and it's always exciting to deal with the book of Genesis The title in the Hebrew Bible is Bereshit. It means in the beginning, as you might expect. And I think one of the reasons why the book of Genesis is so important is because it answers these basic fundamental questions that you could say everyone has. I've heard it said before that everyone has three basic questions. Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? And and isn't it interesting, Eric, that the book of Genesis takes us on a journey that provides answers to those questions? Where did we come from? We came from the hand of a personal, benevolent, loving Creator God. Why are we here? Well, we're here to live out our lives for the glory of God, to use our talents and abilities to be a blessing to others. You may remember, and this is going to come in one of the lessons several weeks from now, that, that God said, through abraham's descendants all the world will be blessed and god wants to use each of us to be a blessing to others and and where are we going well god has a plan for us in eternity and we're going to be dealing with a little bit of that plan of salvation in this week number two of the lesson that we will be dealing with
0: so the book of genesis is a phenomenally important book as you said it deals with where we came from and when you take a look at the world today there's a lot of confusion about where we came from, how we got to where we are right now. And and really, week number two that we're diving into right now, it, it kind of it, it answers some of those questions, right. where, and, it, and it even brings up some other questions. Like, at the end of last week, we looked at the creation, and everything was, well, it was pretty good. And then we get to week number two here in the fall, and everything kind of goes sideways. Why, why is this week important with the fall, and, and how did we get to the place that we're at?
1: Well, maybe we should mention, Eric, when we talk about the fall, we're not talking about the season of the year. We're not talking about autumn. But this is the term that theologians use sometimes to describe humans, Adam and Eve, turning away from God's plan for their lives and and turning into a sinful path. And so because it is a a lapse, a disobedience, we call it the fall into sin. And, And in a sad way, Eric, it helps to explain why this world is in such the mess that it's in. And when, when we look at what's going on around us in the world today, we see wars and rumors of wars. We see pandemics. We, we see so many things happening in the world. And and this one chapter, Genesis 3, is going to help to explain, to help us understand why we're in the mess that we're in, but also it's going to provide a key on how god has a plan to get us out of this mess that we are in
0: and that's good news because if all that there is to this world to this life is the mess that we're in uh, there's not much to look forward to in fact things seem to be getting worse rather than better but we get to to sunday's lesson here and it talks about the serpent you know if you're familiar with the story of the fall or the basic origins of where we are right now you know that this serpent has a, a role to play but it's it's really not the serpent per se there's there's something else something bigger deeper behind this talk to me about the serpent and the fall here what's what's going on and why is why is this this interaction between eve and the serpent
1: what's the significance right well my wife would be in the category of those who don't care for snakes and i think there are a lot of people who fit in that category if i were to want to have a pet snake there would need to be some serious discussion, or I might end up out in the garage or something like that. But but this chapter is not just about a snake, but about the the power, the, the, the personal power, we might say, that is using the serpent as his agency, uh, as his medium, as it were, to deceive Adam and, and Eve, to lead the world into sin. And so what... Scripture identifies later on in the Bible, it identifies who this power of the serpent is. In Revelation 12, we're told that ancient serpent, the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. And then there's a reference in the book of Romans, the epistle to the Romans, chapter 16, verse 20, which says the God of peace will shortly crush Satan under your feet. So the biblical perspective is that the power behind this serpent is none other than the devil himself. And while I don't want to overly magnify the power of evil, it's true, Eric, that we live in a world in this day and age where some people don't seem to recognize that there is an evil force at work in the universe. C.S. Lewis gave an interesting quote where he said, the devil would be happy to have you fall into one of two errors. Either you don't believe in the devil at all, or you have an obsessive preoccupation with him. And I think that C.S. Lewis is right in that regard. I don't want to become absorbed and to focus on the power of evil because God is infinitely more powerful. But on the other hand, we need to recognize that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, as Ephesians says, but against principalities and powers. In other words, there is a cosmic conflict going on, a great controversy. And we need to be aware that, that there is an evil power that would work to steal your and my joy to take us away from a relationship with Jesus Christ.
0: That's right. So we're not looking at just evil. We're not looking at just wickedness as this sort of nondescript term, mm-hmm. but there's someone who is behind that, someone who is instigating all of that. Sometimes we we look at people, yeah. we say I don't like them. They're they're a bad person. They they've been right. mean to me and we we sometimes put the blame in the wrong place. You know, there's something motivating that behavior, and that's that's the devil himself who's working through it. It's interesting at the end of uh, of I think it's Sunday's uh, yep Sunday's message here or Sunday's segment. A question is asked: If Satan was able to deceive a sinless Eve in Eden, how much more vulnerable are we? What is our best defense against his deception? When we look back at Eve, up to that point, there hadn't been on earth any deception, any reason for her to to doubt what she was hearing. But all of a sudden, she she falls prey. Now here we are six plus thousand years down the line. If she could fall victim, what kind of hope do we have?
1: Well, that's an excellent question, Eric. And It makes me think of a verse that I really appreciate in the Gospel of John because it lays out what we sometimes call the cosmic conflict or the great controversy. It lays it out for us. John 10 verse 10 says, The thief, speaking of the power of evil, comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. In other words, there is a personal power working against us. But the verse doesn't stop there. I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. So I think the answer to your question, Eric, it it certainly would have been the answer to Eve. It's the answer for us today. We've got to stay close to God. We've got to stay close to the Word of God as well, because Eve's problem was not just that she was listening to the serpent, but that she was straying from the Word of God. She disbelieved God and His Word. And so one of the things that Genesis 3 calls calls to me personally is it invites me to trust in God completely implicitly to trust god and his word so we have no reason to doubt him
0: Uh, he's given us no reason to doubt him we'll put it that way but many of us unfortunately do we we have listened to the adversary we've been tempted we've fallen to those temptations and it seems easier to go that route but in the end the bible says the wages of sin is death there's nothing good that comes from it but we also have the other side. There's there's the victory. There's the savior. There's there is hope. If there wasn't any hope, there'd be. Well, here's my deep theological statement for the day. If there wasn't any hope, there'd be no hope. Um, but That's there true. is there <laughs> is hope. There is hope. There's incredible hope. I, I want to get into Monday, uh Monday's lesson here before we take a break. In Monday's lesson, it's entitled "The Forbidden Fruit." So often I hear you know, I wonder what the fruit looked like, or, or why did Eve bite the apple? It, the Bible doesn't say it was an apple. We just kind of, we jump there. I don't know why the apple got to be the, the unfortunate fruit that uh, that everybody thinks it was. But at any, at any rate, this fruit, whatever it was, the issue here, I don't think, was was that she was hungry. Right. There was something more going on. Tell, tell us a little bit more about that,
1: Greg. Well, and I'm glad you mentioned the part about an apple. I sort of uh, like the adage, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. And I don't even like just one kind of apples. I I mean, any kind of apple. I like it to be crisp and tasty, and I I happen to like Fuji apples. And so I think that maybe it was um, an onion or something along those lines. Actually, we don't know what fruit it was that Eve ate of. But the, the issue is not, in the final analysis, an issue of what type of fruit it was or even an issue of appetite. But... The serpent, the devil using the agency of the serpent, is inviting Eve to distrust God. Even the question is phrased in a deceptive way. Did God really say you should not eat of every tree of the garden? The question is phrased in a way that, that causes her to think and wonder, how should I answer this question? And, and, and she's already on a dangerous path of straying away from God's plan, so Again, the issue is not eating between meals or eating fruit. It's distrusting God and His Word. And, and throughout Scripture, we are invited, we are challenged, we are encouraged, exhorted to trust God and His Word. And you see, when God speaks, He makes it pretty plain. He
0: says, if you eat the fruit from this tree, you will surely die. I mean, there's there's no ambiguity about it. It's It's quite plain. And yet, when the devil gets in there and begins... Insinuating that there's something else. He says, You you will uh, not only will you not die, but you'll become as gods, knowing uh, good and evil.
1: Well, and you think of the last week's lesson God had given Adam and Eve such a beautiful, pristine, glorious place. Who could ask for anything more? And yet the devil insinuates that God is holding you back. If you eat of this fruit, then your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Knowing good and evil. The devil is good at
0: taking something that's true and twisting it ever so slightly, just enough to make it false. And if he can get us to believe that falsehood, well, that's the first step down a long and painful road. And it's not a road that God wants you to go down. It's a road that God wants to keep you from because there's only pain and anguish at the other end. But that's why we're taking a look at the book of Genesis this quarter. We're digging into the origins, the beginnings of things. And we're only on week number two. We've got 11 more weeks. I had to do a little quick math there. We've got 11 more weeks to go, so we are going to be diving into this and and opening it up. But I want to encourage you, in addition to studying the Sabbath school quarter, the Bible study lesson, you can also pick up the companion book for this lesson It's by Jacques Ducan. The title, of course, is Genesis. It goes right along with this quarter's lessons, and we hope that you will be blessed by it. You can find this at the It Is Written shop. That's itiswritten.shop. Go there, pick up the companion book to this quarter's study guide, and you'll be blessed. We're going to be back in just a moment as we continue our look at week number two of the book of Genesis looking at the fall. We'll be right back.
1: Planning for your financial future is a vital aspect of Christian stewardship. For this reason, It Is Written is pleased to offer free planned giving and estate services. For information on how we can help you, please call 800-992-2219. Call today or visit our website, hislegacy.com. Call 800-992-2219. Hi, I'm John Bradshaw from
0: It Is Written. The It Is Written Bible studies have been used around the world by people who want to understand the Bible better. They're short, they're easy to use, and they're life-changing. And in them, you'll find the hope and the peace that you've been searching for. Sign up for your Bible guides today at no cost. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. I'm here with Dr. Greg King. He is the dean of the School of Religion at Southern Adventist University, and we are digging into the book of Genesis, looking at the fall. Now, just before our break, we talked about uh, the devil and some of his, his untruths that he told, or, or half-truths is maybe a better way of saying it. He said that you'll know good and evil like God. There was some truth in that.
1: Well, yes. And and in fact, isn't it interesting, Eric, that when Eve partakes of the fruit, then shares it with Adam, it says that their eyes were opened. And then they do start to experience evil in a new way. Isn't it true that as human parents, we we want to shelter our children for some things. We don't want them to experience the the ravages of cancer in their body, what it's like to have an, an auto accident, whatever it may be. We want to keep them from that. And And one of the deep sadnesses that one has in reading Genesis 3, you see in the first two chapters of Genesis, you see this world that God has created that is marvelously glorious. One couldn't want anything more. Literally, heaven on earth is is what it was. And yet, in chapter 3 of Genesis, it all changes. And so, it's because Eve and Adam distrust God, they follow the path of the serpent, and and one, one thing that I would say in reflecting on Genesis 3, sometimes people are still listening to the serpent today, the serpent who would lead them away from God and his word. It reminds us to be faithful to the word of God.
0: That's right. And, and what it also lets us know is that we have the ability to choose. Uh, you and I can choose who we're going to believe. You and I can choose who we are going to follow. You and I can choose whose character we're going to reflect into the lives of the people that we come in contact with each and every day. Of course, unfortunately, Adam and Eve made, well, poor choices. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of opened the the floodgates of sin, woe, and death, and so forth on on creation. But just after they made that poor choice, as you mentioned, Greg, first two chapters, they're enjoying communion with God. Everything is going really well. The relationship is solid. It's strong. And then they choose to listen to the serpent and they all of a sudden go and hide. They hadn't hidden before. There was no reason to hide before. What's the significance of this hiding? Why is this important? And, and God, God comes after them and he says, Where are you? I, I love that question. Where are you? Talk about that a little bit.
1: Well, and you're right on target when you speak about how this opens the door. Have you heard the expression before opening Pandora's box? This is certainly what they open because there is a whole what we might say Eric is a a cascade of events of of woes and and terrible events that uh, happen in the world, and we 're going to be developing some of these in the next couple of weeks of lessons but but isn 't it interesting that as soon as they partake of this fruit, they sense that they are guilty they 're ashamed, alienation from God has set in, and so they go running as I imagined it in my mind, into the deep recesses of the Garden of Eden, maybe hiding behind some towering tree or something like that. But, but as you noted, God still comes after them. Isn't this the way the plan of salvation works? While we were yet sinners, Romans says, Christ died for us. Isn't it true that our God is a seeking God? I think of those wonderful parables in Luke chapter 15 where the shepherd searches for the lost lamb. And I love that phrase, until he finds it. The woman searches for the lost coin until she finds it. The phrase is repeated. And and isn't it true in the Garden of Eden, God goes after Adam and Eve? And some find, oh, maybe even some humor in the question, where are you? Is this some type of game of cosmic hide and seek? What is going on here? We know that the infinite, all-wise, omniscient God that he knows where adam and eve are located but it's a question eric i believe it's a question of invitation to to jar them into consciousness to to help them recognize that they have strayed from their god they have wandered from the path they should be on it's a question of invitation god wants them to return to fellowship with him
0: and that's encouraging encouraging or at least it should be for us because you know we've strayed we've made mistakes we've gone the wrong direction And God is out searching for us. He's out looking for us. He's out inviting us to come back to Him. And again, it's up to us whether we choose to do that. But if we choose to come back to Him, well, there's glory forever. There's, there's eternal life. There's so many benefits. And, and really you compare that with, well, what the, what the adversary offers, which is really nothing.
1: Right. And I think, Eric, it it is a wonderful point to notice that God could leave them in their misery, shame, alienation, guilt. You can continue the words. God could leave them in that condition, but he goes to seek them. We could say the divine physician is making a house call. He's coming to seek them out, to invite them to return to him. Absolutely. And you see,
0: it's amazing how they, they try to fix the problem themselves. By, by making what the Bible, the King James, calls aprons of, of leaves. Uh, God says, no, that's not going to do it. Uh, that's not going to cut it. You need something. You need more, and you need different material. And then it says he makes them coats of skins. I don't know that God spoke Naugahyde into existence. I, I think something had to had to make those skins. Those skins had to come from somewhere. And so we get got a beautiful picture of Of the plan of salvation right there in the book of Genesis. Talk a little bit about the plan of salvation here.
1: Well, I think you're right on that. In in a way, you could say that God making them garments of skin is a foreshadowing of the fact that one day a Savior would come and will provide a robe of righteousness for all of us. But, Eric, I really appreciate how in this context of Genesis 3.15, you could say a a context that is filled with woe and tragedy, God introduces the plan of salvation. I will put enmity, addressing the, the serpent or the power of evil behind the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman, your seed and her seed. And And he goes on to say that one day, the descendant of the woman will strike a death blow to the head of the serpent, to the power of evil. And Martin Luther and some other Leading Christians have called this verse the Proto-Evangelium. That's a fancy Latin term that means the first gospel promise in Scripture. In other words, God is letting Adam and Eve and and the whole universe know that this battle is not over, that, that the battle has been joined, and that God will one day see to it that a descendant of the woman will come and will crush the power of evil. In other words, even in this time that is so filled with tragedy and sadness, we can have hope because God has promised that a Savior will one day come. That's right.
0: Somebody once said that as soon as there was sin, there was a Savior. We're here in the chapter that introduces sin to the world, and it also introduces us in a beautiful way to the Savior and His sacrifice. Now, speaking about death and the wages of sin, there are different theories about how we as human beings got here and how what we're familiar with here on planet Earth got here. Not all of them line up with the Bible. When we talk about death, was death part of God's original plan for us? And if not, why not? And what's, what's the significance of understanding the role of death and origins?
1: Well, that's an excellent insight question, uh, Eric, because the, the Bible makes it clear that God is the life giver. I think of the phrase that Jesus uses in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus says. And it's important to look at Genesis 1 and 2, the creation accounts, the first week of the lesson, which pointed out that that death was not resident in this good world that God had made. You come to the end of Genesis 1, God saw all that He had made and it was very good. It was lovely. It was beautiful. Death was not a part of that world. And yet, there was the warning that if you eat of this tree that is in the middle of the garden, that death will enter the world. Now, the epistle to Romans makes clear this connection between death and sin it was through one man romans 5 says that death entered the, that sin entered the world and through sin death came but praise god god has a plan to to do away with that that one day death will be done away with finally the bible says it will be cast into the lake of fire that death itself will be cast into the lake of fire so what i would say in response to that in god's good creation death was not a part of it now you alluded to some of the other views on origins progressive creation theistic evolution all of these other views have death dying predatory activity going on for millions of years but that's not the biblical picture god created a world that was pristine and beautiful and free of what the bible calls the last enemy of death
0: i think some people some christians who have i think good motives are trying to find ways to reconcile, I'm not even sure if that's the right word I want to use, but reconcile what science tells us about how long the earth has been here and what the Bible says. Are are these two concepts, these two ideas of millions and millions and millions and millions of years, is that reconcilable with the biblical
1: account? The, The idea that life has been on this earth for millions and millions of years and with it the the varying predatory activity and death and dying taking place, I don't think that that's reconcilable with the biblical account because what we see in Scripture, Eric, is a short span for life on earth, relatively short. I'm talking about in the terms of several thousand years as opposed to millions and millions of years because I think there are some some important theological implications if one embraces a picture other than the biblical picture in that regard. So so many people have good ideas, good motives.
0: They're trying to figure out ways to reconcile things. But if we take a look at a biblical perspective of how we got here, what we find very quickly is that God made this earth perfect. In fact, uh, one thing that I encourage people, if you ever want to have a a positive Bible study, an uplifting Bible study, read the first two chapters of the Bible and the last two chapters of the Bible. Because if you read the first two chapters of the Bible— you'll see a picture of what this earth was like before sin entered the picture. And if you read the last two chapters of the Bible, you'll see a picture of what this earth is like after sin is completely and ultimately done away with.
1: I'll even give you a fancy word for that, Eric. It's called an inclusio. It's like bookends on the Bible, the first two chapters and the last two chapters. And and as we said, the ultimate message of Genesis chapter 3 is a message of hope, that God doesn't leave them in their misery and shame, but he has designed a plan by which humans might be restored to the original beautiful relationship that they enjoyed in creation. Thanks,
0: Greg. And of course, God wants you to be a part of that plan. He's made it possible. He's giving you an invitation just as he gave to Adam and Eve. He wants to walk with you just as he walked with Adam and Eve. He has made it possible for you to have eternal life. Now, It's just up to you to decide whether or not you want to receive that gift. And my hope and prayer is that you will receive that gift because it's free. And God loves you. We're going to come back next week as we continue our study of the book of Genesis, diving into this incredible book on origins and seeing where we came from and what kind of plan God has for us in the future. I look forward to seeing you again next week here on Sabbath School. God bless you. We'll see you then.